There's a lot of faith in here this evening, y'all. Yes? There's a little bit of faith in here this evening, right? I just want to say that it's so encouraging. It always inspires me to be in God's place, in a place like this where God's spirit and his presence just comes out. And as Lexan mentioned, as we've been mentioning all week, we're a church that believes in the power of prayer. We're a church that believes in just the presence of the Holy Spirit. And our heart is that every single person, whether you've been a believer your whole life or this is a brand new thing to you, that when you're here that you would know that you are loved that God has a great plan and purpose for your life, that you are made for greatness. And it's not just things that we say because it's part of a script. It's actually what we believe in the foundation of who we are as a church. And this last series that we've been in has just been so awesome, so amazing. We talked about the story of Joseph. And then we talk, we're talking about right now about the story of David, two amazing men who are greatly, greatly flawed, but greatly called. And I think many of us can relate to this, these stories, these experiences that they had in journeying with God and journeying in their faith because our faith and our journey with God isn't perfect. He's perfect, but we're not. And we're going to have to learn every single day how to get up with faith and expectation. Just as Lexan mentioned earlier, that no matter what has happened, God still, he still loves me. And there are great things that he wants to do in and through our life. And as we've been talking about the story of David, we've seen a lot of highs in his life, a lot of mountaintop moments, a lot of things that he did and God's glory was revealed. And we see that in the successes. Tonight we're going to be talking about something a little bit different. We're going to see how his faith was strengthened, how his faith was formed in the midst of failure. In the midst of his failure. It wasn't just him having a bad day. It was him just really unraveling, just things that he knew was wrong, things that just seemed so unlike him because he was a man after God's heart. We just see the unraveling of someone's life, and it's sobering. It's a reminder that even a king can fall. How much more us? And if you're here and you're going through things, you've done things that you're not proud of or, or you're not, you just feel like God can't love you because of it, know that God's redemption is also what we're going to be talking about this evening. But we do have to wrestle with the fact that, yes, because we're human and because we live in a fall world, we will make mistakes. But some of the greatness that God wants to reveal in us isn't just in how perfect we live, but really how we get back up by his grace and mercy to fulfill the great calling he has for us. Amen. I'm going to start things off with a, a quick story. Uh, Chantel and I, my wife, we love having people over in our house. It's just something that we love to do. We've done it a little bit less over the last uh, year or so because, you know, we have a newborn and, and Bella and, like, our house is kind of chaotic. We also have a dog. I'll talk about her later. But um, we, our house is just not exactly, like, the most calm place that it used to be when we would have people come over for dinner and talk story and, and just hang out. But we still have people over. And as you can imagine, living in a condo in Eva Beach, not only is it hot, but it can get a little chaotic and messy, and we have things all over our house. Not proud of it. Like, we've designated particular places where if we don't know where to put it, we're at least going to put it here, okay? Just so that it's like controlled chaos or controlled mess. But that never happens. And I remember there was this one time someone was going to come over, and we were going to, you know, just talk about what God is doing in their life. And I remember, like, Chantal wasn't home, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I didn't clean the house. Like, I was banking on the fact that we would get to do it together because, again, messy. But she had to stay a little bit later at work, and this person was coming. And I was like, I have, like, seven minutes right now to make this place look clean because it was not clean whatsoever. Like, we had food. We had dishes out. We had all of these stuff, right? So like any other smart person, I've also designated a place to hide all of the mess in our house if there's nowhere else to put it. And the place that it's located in our house, at least, is, is on the side portion of our bed in our master bedroom. 
I was thinking about taking a picture and showing it tonight, but there's literally things right now, and I didn't want to give you guys that much of a glimpse into our life. Um, but that's where I would hide it. All of the mess from the living room to the bathroom to the kitchen to that room to this room to this stuff, that stuff. Just grab it all if you don't have time and just place it on the side of the bed and just leave it there for however long it needs to be so the rest of the place can look clean. It's like our hidden little space where all of our mess resides. But everything else looks good. Everything else is spick and span. That's kind of like the story of David that we're going to be talking about tonight. Kind of like the story of our lives that we're going to talk about as well. In our walk with God, there are so many times where we want to present well and be well. We want to look clean, look perfect, put up this facade that everything's good. But in the reality, all we've done is we've just hidden all of the mess in that side corner of our room. Or maybe the side corner of our soul. And we think that that's just us protecting ourselves. But like what sin does, it destroys things. Sin destroys our relationship with God. It destroys our relationship with people. It destroys relationship with the very people God has called us to love and be in great relationship with. That's something that David did, and we're going to unpack that tonight. He hid. He had a hidden sin that he just left in the corner of his soul, unconfessed, unrepented, and it destroyed a lot of things that God placed in his life. God redeems. He always redeems. But first, we have to wrestle with the fact that he can only redeem if we confess and not hide, if we repent and not thrive in the areas that we know is sin. It's a sobering message, but it will end with encouragement because God is a God of encouragement. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that your presence, your spirit is right here. God, we know that we've lived a life, and many of us, we've done things that we're so guilty and ashamed of. And then we read stories in the Bible or people in the Bible and we're like, man, like they were so perfect, so, so amazing. I can't relate. But God, the story is full of broken people that God would redeem and restore for his glory and for our good. So I pray that we would remember, Lord Jesus, that your grace is made new. Your mercies are made new every single day. And as we look at the life of David, I pray that we would learn that we can't let our guard down. There's a very real enemy out there who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But there is a very real God that wants to position us for greatness. That's the constant tension in our life. So Lord, we choose today to not live in the hidden areas of our souls. But Lord, may we learn from your word the freedom and the victory, the redemption that comes when those things in the darkness come out to light. Lord, it's the safest place to be in your presence. And may we all experience your presence tonight. In Jesus' name, we all said, Amen. Turn to your neighbor, tell them, God loves you. Turn to your other neighbor, tell them, God loves me too. All right. Number one in your notes goes like this. There will be moments we fall in our faith. We're going to be reading out of 2 Samuel this evening, and we're going to be, or specifically uh, chapter 11. And we're going to be looking at the life of David. Now, remember, at this time, David is now in his 50s. He's matured. He's grown. He's experienced a lot of success and favor from God. He's defeated a lot of enemies, God's enemies against God's people. He's done exactly what God has called him to do and called him to be. This amazing king, amazing leader. He had a family. He was a poet. He was a writer. He wrote songs like he did it all. He was the man and he had everything. God's people were humming. They were thriving. They were prospering. All of these people that used to try to 
capture Israel and take over God's people. They were now afraid of God's people because they saw the favor of God on this amazing king named David. That's who David was. And that's like how many of us are as well. We experience success in life because we're in the will of God, because we're seeking after God's kingdom, because we're reading the word, because we're praying, because we want God to move. Like there's just this innate desire in us to serve and honor God. And that humility is what sets us up for success. Because we know it's not about our success. It's about God's will being done in and through our life. That's how David lived. But now we're going to look at the specific moment where David forgot about the desperation and the urgency and the importance of his calling. And he shrinks back. And we've all done that if we were honest with ourselves. We have highs with God. We have mountaintop moments. We see God break through, come through. And we just want to live and praise God forever. And then just one week later, one month later, one season later, one circumstance later, that fire and that passion dwindles and we're like, God, where are you? Why is this happening? Where is your presence? And it's not God leaving us, it's us leaving God. That's what David experienced. He should have been out there battling alongside the military and the army, but instead we find him at home. Something that just wasn't his MO. And that was actually the beginning of his fall into temptation and sin. 2 Samuel 11, 1 to 5. In the spring of the year, the time when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab, who was a military leader at the time, one of the best, and his servants with him and all Israel. They ravaged the Ammonites. The Ammonites were one of the people that always wanted to be enemies and go against God's people. And besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Remember, he remained in Jerusalem. Then it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. And he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent out and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba? the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he laid with her. He was intimate with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. And she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Hold off right there. This is what happens when we remove ourselves from the calling of God over our lives. Remember, David was called to be a king, to be a warrior, and we don't know what was going on. It doesn't say in the, in the Bible. It doesn't give us exact context. Like, he just let his guard down. And you know, in the midst of our successes in life, in the midst of everything going good, isn't that when we let our guards down in our faith the most? Isn't it crazy that one day that we just kind of live our own way or do our own thing can lead to one week and then one month and then one year and then one decade and then one whole season of our life separate from God? And then again, we question and wonder like, God, where, where is your spirit and presence? Where is the breakthrough and the blessing that you promise over my life? And then we're in our homes living our own way. David was called to be at the forefront of this battle. Like this is what his calling was. Lead and defend and conquer for God's people and for God himself. And we find him chilling at home watching Netflix. And then he gets tempted. 
We become most susceptible to sin when we're lazy in our walk with God. Doesn't get any more clear than that. And that's what David experienced. He let his guard down. Maybe he thought, man, we're good. I've done all of this. I've led. I've conquered. I'm successful. I have a great family. I have great notoriety. I have great success. People bow down to Israel because of what I've been able to do. So let me just let them do their thing, and I'm going to do my thing, and I'm just going to sit at home and relax. And him stepping out of the will and the calling of God is what made him see Bathsheba. I just wonder, like, what went on in his head? Like, he didn't just see her and was like, oh, yeah, she's pretty. He went after her. He knew, and Uriah was one of his best military officials, one of his closest friends. They were like, Bathsheba is, your, is Uriah's wife. And then David said, bring her anyway. And then she gets pregnant. It's a fall from grace that David experienced. And if we were very honest for ourselves, we've experienced that many times where we say, like, I would never, ever do that. I would never, never, ever go back to my old ways. I will always follow God for the rest of my life. And those things sound so great. But again, when we step out the presence and the will and the calling of God the same way that David did, we are susceptible because we live in a fallen world with a very real enemy that wants to derail us from God's plans and purposes for our life. So this message isn't a message to condemn. This is a message that's supposed to open our eyes and enlarge in our hearts to the reality that we must always be desperate for God. It just can't come in a seek week as a church where we're praying believing, reading our words, fasting, like that can't just be a posture of a week. That has to be the posture of our life. There's so much great things, so many great things that God has done time and time again to prove to us that he's faithful and he's good and that his ways are the best. But just leave it up to us to make the blessings of God and then make it into our own thing. And our own thing always becomes a mess. That's just the reality of it. And many of us, myself included, we are living in our mess or the consequences of it. God redeems. That's going to be the common theme throughout tonight. So no one should leave here feeling condemned or feeling like all is lost. God redeems. But it comes from the posture of our heart. We're going to go back to David. He actually makes things worse. So Uriah gets pregnant and now he tries to cover his sin up. He's trying to cover up the mess. One of the things that he does in 2 Samuel chapter 11 is he tries to, to throw this huge party. Hey, we're successful out there. We're about to defeat the Ammonites. Call back Uriah. Let's get him drunk. Let's get him to drink and let's send him back home. This is actually what happens. You can read through it. And he basically sets up this moment where Uriah could sleep with Bathsheba, therefore covering up the fact that this baby that's in her womb isn't his, but it's Uriah's. And then Uriah's like, no, I'm not going to do that. Thank you for the opportunity. But I have a calling to fulfill. My calling is to defend this nation and defend you. So Uriah, being the righteous man that he is, he goes out, and he's not willing to come back for that. And you would think that would be enough for David, David but it gets even worse than that. He calls to Joab, and now he begins to set up this moment where Uriah would die. A sure bet that he would lose his life. And what he concocts 
is Joab sending Uriah to the place where the most valiant men of the opposing Ammonites would be. The best warriors, the best leaders, the most savage in war. And he says, Joab, put Uriah on the front lines of that. Basically ensuring that Uriah would die. Therefore, allowing the mess of his sin to be covered up. 2 Samuel eleven fourteen to 17. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the servants of David among the people fell. There, in five words, Uriah the Hittite also died. The reality is if King David was caught and Bathsheba was caught in their adultery and in their sin, they would have been stoned to death. That was one of the consequences of the Old Testament and the law at the time. That's what even King David would face. And you can see how he's now trying to cover up. Like from the very beginning, he wanted to cover up his sin. We're kind of like, man, like what's up with that dude? Trying to get someone drunk and like hide all of that. Like this isn't like reality show TV, right? Like this is the Bible. Like this is actually happening. And it just gives you a glimpse of the humanity that we live in. Like we are fallen, broken people, which just makes the perfect son Jesus that much more amazing. And we'll get to him as we close tonight. But there's so many times, right, we try to cover up our sin. We try to blame other people. We try to blame other circumstances. We try to just make a way for us to not be the one that's responsible. But at the end of the day, we are. What are those areas in our life today, tonight? Those areas of anger, those areas of lust, those hidden things that we just put on the side, the addictions that we give into, the people that we hurt in private that we say, let me just shove all of that to the side of my bed. And let me just make like everything else is okay. That's going to come back one day. David's decision didn't happen overnight. There was probably a track record of him kind of just ticking a little bit farther and farther from the presence of God and the calling of God. We've all been there. said I was going to talk about my dog, Macy. So here we go. We have a dog named Macy. If anyone wants, anyone wants her, let me know. She's crazy. Okay. Lab terrier. She has too much energy for an 800 foot house or square foot house. It's way too much energy. Okay. Well, we got her because Chantel saw her and cried, essentially. And I was like, okay, yeah, we'll buy a dog. And then we bought her. And, you know, I remember, like, loving the, I mean, I've always grown up with pets, and I've always grown up with dogs. And I was just kind of like, oh, man, like, this is going to be so awesome. Like, we own a pet now, and this pet is going to provide us, like, happiness and joy. And it's going to be some, someone that we can turn to when we're having bad days and da-da-da-da-da. Then I realized, like, man, like, it's a lot of work, like, having a pet. Like, here I am, like, Cleaning up after its poop and cleaning up after its pee and then feeding her and then walking her and then cleaning her paws because her her rugs are white. You know, like I am going above and beyond for this pet. And then it hit me. We're the pets. Like, isn't that the crazy thing when you own like a dog or a cat or maybe even a goldfish, but mainly like a dog or a cat? Like we think that we own the pet. But when you look at the relationship, the pet owns us. Right? She tells me when she's going to poop. I have to drop everything so that she can poop. When she poops, I pick up her poop. I throw her poop. And out of courtesy, I wipe her poop. But, you know, like I do my, I do my job. 
She wants water, I give her water. She wants to eat, I, I feed her food. She wants to go for a walk, we go down three flights of stairs just to give her a walk. And then what does she do? She pees and poops and I have to clean it up all over again. She barks, I tell her to be quiet, and then I say, good job for being quiet. Right? And I thought about this one day, and I'm like, oh my God, like, Macy is like sin. We think we own our sin. We think that it's to our beck and call. We think that we have control over our sin, but in the reality, our sin controls us. It tells us how to feel. It tells us how to move. It tells us how to react. It makes us feel like we're being comforted, but really we're just facading or covering something that's actually happening on the inside and we clean up after it. We bow down to it. We do whatever it takes to make sure that our sin is happy and that we can access our sin. Like, isn't that crazy? And that's why I want to get rid of my dog. So let me know if you want it, okay? Her, she's great, but my gosh. But that's kind of how, like, I'm, I know this is kind of a weird tie-in, but that, that's just kind of how we have to be with sin. We can't want it. We actually have to want to get rid of it and get it out of our lives. Because again, we think that we control our sin. But here's the sobering reality. The pornography controls us. The alcohol abuse controls us. The rage that's destructive to our households and our loved ones, that controls us. Our addictions that we will go above and beyond to just get a little hit controls us. And that is not God's plan for our life. That is not how God wants us to live here on earth. Why? Because there is a great calling and destiny that we're called to live. And instead of trying to cover up our sin and our mistakes, God wants us to acknowledge it and live in freedom. Turn to your neighbor, tell them, live in freedom. And we can live in freedom because God redeems. So we said the bad stuff, the sobering stuff and the heavy stuff. But now let's get into the good stuff. Number two in your notes. God is faithful to redeem when we confess and repent for our sin. Confessing and repenting of our sin means to acknowledge it. We live in a day and age to be fully known and fully loved just doesn't seem possible, right? If I, if I share what I'm going through, if I share what I'm struggling in, then I'm going to be looked down on, I'm going to be judged, I'm going to be condemned. I've experienced that out in the working place, in my life, with my family. Why would I want to experience that before God and then experience that before God's people? We're, we're conditioned to not want to repent and confess of our sin because we're conditioned in the day and age that we live in that confessing our weakness is actually a sign of our own weakness, but it is not. It is one of the greatest, most freeing strengths that God wants to bestow upon his people so that we can be redeemed by his grace and by his mercy, by being honest and open with God. Confess and repent. Confessing to acknowledge to God and to others what you're going through and then repenting, meaning turning from it. Before Repenting, we're turning to the sin, but repenting means we're turning away from it and we're not going back. We can't do that on our own. We can do that by God's grace. And one of the most freeing things that we can experience is when we acknowledge that before others. The prophet Nathan was the prophet essentially assigned to partner with David. All throughout the Old Testament, there's prophet after prophet that were called to help steer and direct God's people into God's calling and purpose for their life. And they were supposed to come alongside the kings, the chosen leaders of the time, and give insight 
Now Nathan finds out from God because God obviously wasn't happy with what David was doing. He found out from God and now Nathan is going after David. And he doesn't go after him necessarily to condemn, but he's going after David because he knows, man, you're better than that. Like look at our relationships right now here in a church setting, in our relationship with God. The relationships that we have with others in small group, trusted friends and family members, brothers and sisters in Christ. Like the reason why God has placed those people into our life is so that they can be a mirror to us and call us out of the things that don't honor and please God in our life. And that's 100% okay. Because that gives us a glimpse of God's love for us. Like he comes after us, not because he wants to condemn us of our sin. He wants to call it out of us so that we can be forgiven of our sin. It's powerful. And again, Nathan has this moment for David. And who knows what would have happened if Nathan was like, man, like this is King David though. I ain't going to do it, God. Like, I'm just going to chill and watch Netflix on my own as well. I am not confronting King David because he's the man. Some of us, we know of people that we need to confront in love. And yeah, that could cause some disruption. That could cause some heartache. That could cause some situations and circumstances. But if you love them, we'll confront in love and we'll call it out. One, so that they can repent and confess and live in freedom. Check out what happens in this relationship. So Nathan talks to David about what happened, and he calls it out. Why? In 2 Samuel 12, 9 to 10 and verse 13, Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. This is God. This is what Nathan is saying about God speaking to David. Then David says to Nathan, yes, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin and you shall not die. David comes clean to Nathan and he's immediately met with the grace of God. Because someone went out of their way to tell him the truth. Tell David the truth. Hey, you got to come out of that sin. You got to come clean with what you're going through. One of the most sensitive topics in my life when it comes to my walk with God is my family. It's very clear, very open, very honest with all of you. I grew up in a broken home. had a lot of bad relationships growing up with family members. And I love my family to this day. God's worked a lot through that. I'll share about that later. But it was rough growing up. And for most of my childhood, I was okay with that. Like, I was okay with not having a good relationship with my dad. I was fine with not having a relationship with mom or a relationship with my sister because that's actually helping me live. Not having to put myself in vulnerable places or have relationships with people that could hurt me the most, like how it's been, even if they didn't intend it. That's how I received it. That's what I experienced. If I could just protect and guard myself from those relationships, then I can survive. I can live. I can go about my day, and that was most of my walk with God. I remember that there were years where I would go just durations of time worshiping God on Sundays or Fridays when I was in youth service, 
and I would be encouraging all of my like classmates or my teammates to come into relationship with God and, and experience his love and mercy and come to church and, and learn how to pray. And I, if you ask people on campus at Pearl City High School, what was this guy about? They're like, Jesus and school. Like that's just two things that like people associate with me, Jesus and schools. People said I also hug trees, but that was not true. Like just because you love Jesus doesn't mean you hug trees. Don't say that about Christians. Okay, so anyway, all of that to say that there was this hidden part of my life, and that was the brokenness of my relationships with my parents and my sister. Because I could do all of the things out there, but when I would go home, I would just go straight to my room. I would stay out later to do more Christian things just so that I could come home when my parents or my sister would be sleeping so I wouldn't have to interact with them. And unfortunately, the, the truth is that went on for about six, or sorry, about 14 years of my walk with God, doing all of the great things out there, but having this hidden place of anger and resentment of sin with my own family. And with my friends, I could kind of put a facade because, like, they don't have to ask too many questions, right? Like, at church, like, my family's not there, so no one's going to have to know about the fact that we just fought for two hours straight at home. And all of that changed, though, when I started dating Chantel, my now wife, because there was this invitation into our life, into my life, into our family. And of course, we would spend time at our house, you know, watching TV, just connecting and building relationship. And one of the most painful things that she told me, maybe two months into our relationship, was I remember she was like, hey, can I just ask you a question? And I'm already like, oh no, like what is this question gonna be? Like did I not open the door for you in the car? Like did I like not excuse myself over dinner? Like what is this conversation gonna be? And she said, if you know my wife, she's like the most quiet but most profound like just human being that I know. And she kind of like looked me in the eyes and she's like, and we were playing like Jenga at the time. Like that's just what we did, we played Jenga, it's weird. But she looked me in the eye and she's like, why is your relationships with your family the way that it is? And I remember in that moment, like, I was like, okay, how can I cover this up? How can I make up an excuse? How can I just hide it, put it away, or conjure up some kind of way for her to believe a lie? That everything's okay and great. It's just, this is just what you see or what, we, what, you, what, you, what you've witnessed. And I remember it's kind of like that Nathan and David moment. It caught me so off guard, but it was done in such a way with so much love, but so much truth, so much desire to help, but also a desire to see God move too, that I just began to cry and weep. And I was just like, this is just how it is. And that is not how God wants us to view the broken areas of our life. It's not supposed to be, it's just how it is. This is just how I am. This is just how it's going to be. This is just how it's supposed to. Like, I know that God wants to change that perspective and mindset of all of us tonight. And the reason why I could begin to confess and repent of my hatred and my unforgiveness and my bitterness and my resentment towards my family is because someone... I was close enough into my life to say that there's something wrong about that. Who are the people in your life that you're inviting in to have those conversations with you? Hey, bro, like, that attitude, sister, that habit, 
It's not going to glorify and honor God. You actually need to confess your sins, repent of those sins, turn to God, and run from those very things. Who are those people in our life today? For me, it's the leaders of this church, the pastors that have just spoken into my life, people like Pastor Billy. On a weekly basis, it's my small group. One of my small group members is right there, and I keep looking at Phil like it all, all evening because you're right there in your red hat. We meet every Friday in our small group, and we're just open and honest with one another. It's crazy. One day, someone in our small group talked about not doing the dishes enough at home, and that night, they did the dishes, and their wife was like, why are you doing the dishes? And we're like, you did the dishes! It wasn't Phil, right? we haven't just talked about doing the dishes. We've talked about real life things. Areas in our marriage, areas in life, the sicknesses and disease our family members are going through, the pain and the heartache we're going through. Well, those have become safe places. My relationships with people in this church, the relationship with my wife, the relationship with close friends that I've been open and honest with, the relationships with my small group. It's scary to confess and repent of your sins before God and definitely before other people because there's always that possibility that you will be judged. But what I've experienced in this church time and time again and God time and time again is that I have never been judged or condemned. I've always been lifted up by his grace and his mercy and his goodness. And I can just account for 18 years of my life experiencing that every single day. And that's a gift from God that he wants to give every single one of us. Amen. Yeah, come on. James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And I just want to say one thing before uh, we bring things to a close and we go to our last point for tonight. There is so many things that we think people can't understand or people wouldn't want to hear, or they would abandon us if we did. But again, like, that's not who God is. That's not who the church is. And I know for a fact, some of us, we're wrestling with things, maybe even decades worth of our lifetime, like I did with my family. God does not want us to just think that's just how it's supposed to be. He wants to bring redemption and grace, and he wants to bring life to those dead areas of our life. But it first starts from us repenting by confessing. Last point in your notes, number three. God's love, everyone say love, and grace, say grace, lead us back to our calling. God's love and grace leads us back to our calling. There's a lot that we can summarize from the story of David, but that moment that he had with Nathan was one of the most powerful moments. There are consequences to sin. That is the unfortunate of things. There's the consequences of sin that have affected our life, things that we've done, other people that have done to us. David himself experienced those consequences. This child that he had in adultery, this this child passed away. That's what happened, and he prayed and he mourned of the passing. David experienced a lot of heartache, having to come clean and be open about his sin, but there was also God's redemption right around the corner. Some of us feel like if, we op- if we're open and honest with God and we re- confess and repent of our anger or our lust or our addictions, we think that he'll leave us or others will leave us or we can't fulfill the calling of God. But this amazing thing about what happened to David, it was this very thing that humbled him, brought him back to the heart of God and allowed him to fulfill the calling of God over his life for the rest of his life. And God also blessed him and Bathsheba with a son. Second Samuel 12 
24. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her. And she bore a son and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved Solomon. What we know about Solomon was he was the next king. And he wrote a lot of great scripture in the book of Psalms. Great leader, amazing man, and he came out of the promise over David's life that he would be not just a great leader of his generation, but his leadership would transcend and translate to other generations, and it came through Solomon himself. Our God redeems, amen? And it can only be redeemed through the story of Jesus Christ. That was the Old Testament, and now we live in the present-day New Testament, and that's Jesus Christ himself looking us in our eyes, seeing the shame, the guilt, all of the things that we've done, and he said, yes, I will die for those very things. I will die for those very people. I will conquer sin and death so that they can live in freedom here on earth if they confess of, as, of me being Lord and Savior and repent of their sins. 1 John 5, 1, 5-9. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess of our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One story that I want to share with you regarding my family before we close tonight with communion. Going back to that moment that I had with Chantel. This was, I think, the year prior to us getting married when she called me out. She called me out of my resentment, my bitterness, my anger towards my family. And I look back on that moment because I remember thinking like, this is just how my family is. This is just how my family is going to be like. I've just experienced 27 years of life with this just being my truth and my reality. Like, how can God come? Like, this is me speaking. How can God come in and change this? And I remember after, I don't know if she remembers this, but I remember after she told me, called me out on it, and I shared, and I weeped, and I cried like a baby, because Lord knows I cry and weep like a baby. And Chantel does too. I remember looking up into her eyes and feeling like the worst person ever, probably like how David felt. And I remember looking into her eyes and all she told me in that time was, God loves you, I love you, and everything is going to be okay. And that was one of the most freeing moments of my life because I've realized what was hidden in the side of my bed in the depths of my soul is now forefront. But God speaking through this amazing woman is telling me that everything is going to be and that he can redeem. And to this day, I mean, this is for another message in itself. But I got to walk down the aisle, getting married with my mom and dad by my side. I remember even thinking I didn't want my dad at my wedding, but he was there. He kept walking the wrong way. So I just had to keep dad, like, just it's one line. Just let's go, right? But we walked down the aisle together. And then my sister was on Chantel's bridal party. So she was actually part of our, our wedding. I remember having one of the most painful moments in my mom's cancer diagnosis become one of the most comforting moments, knowing that a whole church was praying for me, but so was our family. Like that was what actually sealed the deal that we 
experienced redemption was when my mom was cancer, uh, diagnosed with cancer. It actually brought our family together. And I remember crying in my, it's funny, I remember crying, me crying into my sister's arms and her doing the same. You know, and I just think about like how my mom overcame cancer and I'm thankful that it was with my family. We got to experience that together. I'm thankful that I got to experience my sister's wedding day with my brother-in-law. And I'm still astounded that I got to actually officiate their wedding. It's just, it's crazy how God kind of writes those things. And I just think about our daughter, Bella, who isn't having to get tossed around from relationship to relationship, like just trying to avoid the grandparents or avoid the, the auntie or avoid the uncle. But instead, like she's able to just grow up with all of these relationships of grandparents and, and aunties and uncles in our family, Chantel's family, that just loves her. That's what happens when you repent and you confess of your sins. That becomes the beginning of God's redemption story. It took me almost 16 years, or excuse me, 14 years of my Christian walk to get to that point. And I've had to repent of that. But the last four years and the continued years that I'll be able to experience, man, nothing will come close to that. What are those areas in your life tonight that are hidden on the side, that are hidden in your soul, that you say, God, that's just how it is. And we try to cover it up and cover it up. Those are the very things as we go into this time of communion and response that God wants us to come forward with so that the healing process can begin and the redemption story can start.